0: Another episode of the Electric Election Road Trip. I am your host, Benji Backer, president and founder of the Conservation Coalition. And we are live in Houston, Texas, with Dan Crenshaw, the one and only. Dan, welcome to the Electric Election Podcast.
1: Hey, great to be with you, Benji. I appreciate all the work you guys do.
0: Well, thank you, sir. And you know, we're on the heels of a really effective advertisement that you guys just launched about the importance of climate change and the environment to you personally. Can you talk about why you've you've stepped out on this issue and why it's so important to you?
1: Sure, because we need rational environmentalism. Uh, I, I think the majority of Americans want some kind of solution to, for a reduction in carbon emissions. But environmentalism environmentalism is about a lot more than just reducing carbon emissions. People want clean air, clean water. Um, this is this is something we naturally care about, conservative or liberal, and. And I think for a long time, Republicans felt like they were on the defense on this. And my point was that it is, it's is not necessary to be on the defense. We, we can be on offense. And, and, and here's how this happens. Let me explain the psychology of why Republicans end up on defense. And what I'm about to explain is it, it's translatable across all issues, not just climate. So here's how it goes. All right. There's a pretty agreeable um, proposition. Okay, In this case, uh, we care about the environment. It's an agreeable proposition. And then the left says, this is how you care about the environment. And then they propose the most radical possible both premises and solutions. And then the right says, well, that doesn't make any sense. We're not in favor of that. And then the left says, well, it's because you don't care enough. Okay? Does that sound familiar? That's not just true in climate. It's true across all issues. And... And, and instead of getting more creative and more aggressive and going on the offense about no, no, here we do care and here's our solutions. This is this is how we should talk about it. This is what it means to be a rational problem solver, I think I think for a long time Republicans just backed into a corner. And it, it's just trying to reverse that. I mean, it's something we all care about, so let's have a rational discussion about it and and talk about it.
0: I mean, that's that's exactly right. I mean we just did a poll that showed that 85% of young conservatives would be more likely to vote for a Republican if they prioritized climate change in a climate change plan. And yet, you know, there aren't a ton of, you know, people who believe that the Republican Party even cares about climate change. It's starting to shift within the House and the Senate on the Republican side. Can you talk a little bit about that progress that you've seen in your time in D.C. and how you hope to see it continue into the future?
1: Yeah, it shifted a lot. I mean, Leader McCarthy and I and, and Garrett Graves and others, um, all the, the leadership as a whole, we were pushing this really hard and the coronavirus hit. And, you know, let's, let's just not talk about the year 2020. Yeah. But, you know, then, And everybody was watching Tiger King instead of talking about our new energy frontier. And it was a disaster. But we were pushing this pretty hard. <laughs> Um, there, we had a whole uh, three-phase series with multiple bills, a lot of them bipartisan. Real solutions, not like virtue signaling and the Green New Deal and talking about giving people jobs even if they don't want to work and destroying the farting cows. Not a bunch of nonsense and cute video making, although I do like to make cute videos, as you know. <laughs> uh, but might have substance, just to be clear. And but ours we had real legislation. You know, let's let's talk about being pro-nuclear. Let's talk about the stuff that actually works, and, and 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 stop talking about the stuff that is that is proven not to work. Okay. So what does work? How about exporting more natural gas? How about building pipelines, which is the safest way to actually uh, to actually transfer something like natural gas? Uh, what is responsible for reducing carbon emissions in the United States back to 1990 levels? Fracking, natural gas. Let's talk about nuclear. All right, and, and let's talk about let's talk about in all of the above energy strategy. Um, you know, one of those bills is you know, plant a trillion trees, right? But it, it's not just like, hey, let's have a government program that plants a trillion trees. No, it's 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 getting the private sector involved because people want to help, right? It's it's collective action as opposed to activism. You taught me that. i you know, well, we're going to give you credit for that little uh, <laughs> that little that line I just used the action versus activism. Um, so, yeah, it, it, prior to COVID-19, and, and we just have to admit that, um, that our, that our uh, priorities changed a little bit, um, at, at least in the public discourse, you know, as far as what voters are, are looking at these days. But we've still been working on these policies. Um, you know, I've, I've actually passed five bills, uh, which is difficult as a freshman in the minority, okay? Uh, and one of those bills um, is the Leading Act, which uh, is a carbon capture solutions, but it basi- basically repurposes some money at the Department of Energy to do more research and development on carbon capture technology for the natural gas space, which is, again, proven to work. It's a place right outside Houston, where we're at right now, um, and uh, it's called, what um, uh, uh, the name escapes me, all of a sudden, Net power. And basically, they take in natural gas, create electricity from it, but through some process they have Recapture that CO2 of, of net zero emissions, power about 5,000 homes as a result. So we should be talking about how to scale that kind of technology out. That's really fascinating stuff. That um, there's so much more um, that, that people are working on. How do you utilize carbon? Should it really be a waste product? Should we even think of it as a waste product? You're breathing it out right now. You know, it's it's a it, it can be utilized, right? It can be a commodity. And once something is thought of as a commodity, you can trade it, you can sell it, you can store it, and utilize it, right? So these things make a lot more sense as opposed to, I think, a lot of the solutions that have long been popularized uh, that either uh, don't work or actually harm the environment worse.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. And I think one of the problems is that the environment is something that we all care about, but we've made the solutions something that are way more simple than, they're, than they actually are. We, You know, the, a lot of folks on the left talk about, you know, how simple these solutions are, we can change all this overnight, and we can you know, have a completely 100% renewable economy by tomorrow, when that's not the reality. And that doesn't mean that you can't take steps in the right direction. Can you speak to the importance of kind of that incremental you know, steps in the right direction, one small step and then a larger step, and keeping on that path instead of assuming that we can wait for some holy grail policy?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's science fiction, right? I mean, that's what you're describing. It's, it's science fiction utopianism, and it's, it's not And the irony of the science fiction is that it's not based in science. You know, at least science fiction is usually based in science. Um, but what they're saying often is not, right? They're, they're not talking about energy density. They're not talking about, okay, how many acres of land do you have to plow down? How many, how many species have to be destroyed? How many migratory birds, endangered migratory birds have to be destroyed? How many wind turbines do you have to import from China which you need fossil fuels to build in order to get here. I'm not saying these things aren't part of the solution, but we have to, just, we have, to have a rational discussion about it. It makes sense. There are trade-offs
0: way. to all energy sources, and no one admits that.
1: Trade-offs. This is a very important word that is never talked about, again, across all issues, by the way. Because there, there aren't solutions, there are trade-offs. And rational discussions about trade-offs is what governing officials' job is, fundamentally. And I think Americans should start demanding that of their elected officials. No, tell me the trade-offs. Don't just tell me what you want. Any, any child can tell me what they want, right? I want to know how you're going to get there and what the trade-offs are. That's a rational discussion. And that's the rational discussion surrounding all clean energy. Um, and and, and we, need to, we need to go back to like you know, the 60,000-foot level sometimes, too. You know, if we, just, if we just got rid of the Texas energy sector all of a sudden, right, just kept everything in the ground, no more fossil fuels, there's a lot of people who would say, and if I asked, if I pulled everybody, would it reduce worldwide emissions, everybody would say yes, of course. I'm not so sure that's true, okay? Here's why. Because it's not like energy demand just disappears, all right? And just based on the physics of what we currently have and, and the way wind and solar works, you're not going to meet that demand. Now, if you all of a sudden built a bunch of nuclear power plants, maybe you could, but we're not going to all of a sudden build a bunch of nuclear power plants, right. so that's kind of off the table. And the reality is is that over the next 25 years, energy demand around the world is going to increase by about 25 to 30%. Okay? And it's immoral to tell a bunch of poor people in developing countries that they can't thrive, that they can't prosper, that they can't build out their lives. Okay? We're not going to tell them that. Even if we wanted to tell them that, it's just that's, that's not going to happen. So who's gonna provide that energy? Well, it's Russia, Saudi Arabia, Iran. And who, who produces energy in a dirtier way? They do, right? And the EPA estimates that uh, Russian natural gas on a lifetime cycle basis produces 47% more carbon emissions than U.S. natural gas. So at a very practical level, just, just looking at the facts, uh, we probably increase carbon emissions by destroying the U.S. energy sector. So that, that's, 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 that's a pretty big deal when we're talking about, like you said, the oversimplification of this entire debate, you have to bring everybody to the table. Um, you know, and it, as it turns out, the more we innovate, the more those innovations get exported. The, the cleaner we innovate, and the more we can, we, can, we can export that around the world. And So just innovating our way to a cleaner future, I think is, which is why, again, I, I propose something like the Leading Act, the New Energy Frontier. Because innovation always has been proven throughout history to get us to a cleaner future, so why not rely on that same strategy?
0: Well, that's a, yeah, that innovation-based approach is what needs to happen on climate, and that is something that again will not happen overnight. But it also helps solve the problem globally because we can export that innovation to other countries. Right. Unfortunately, to a point you made earlier a lot of the wind power and solar power in the United States gets exported from China and imported by the United States, and it ends up having a very negative environmental impact and trade-offs. We Something that was shocking to me as we toured the country, uh, as, as we're kind of in the home stretch, is that we visited two wind and solar facilities in different parts of the country, one in the Midwest, one in the Northeast, that were run by conservative-leaning folks. And they a were frustrated with the lack of investment in their energy sources from, from our country and how they had to rely on people overseas but they also were kind of frustrated by the lack of dialogue within their own party on renewables we and I, you and i both agree that we need to have better technology better storage you know it's not scalable to an entire country wind and solar overnight what can republicans and conservatives do to take the renewable conversation into our own hands while also supporting these other energy sources and really focus on improving renewable energy sources, knowing that they're not at the scale that they need to be yet?
1: They're, they're, they're not. I mean, listen, I'm, I'm, I think solar and wind, it's, it's going to work where it works, okay? Um, if, if we're going to invest in something, though, I'm more inclined to invest in something like nuclear, Right, I'm more inclined to invest in something that is very scale, clearly man. a reliable source of energy, takes up an acre of land as opposed to thousands of acres of land, um, and you know has a, has an overhead cost. But uh, you know we can mine that here, uh, we can dispose of it here. There's there's been a lot of falsehoods put out about nuclear right. about the environmental damage. So. You know, listen. I, I am for all of the above, but I want everybody to compete. I, I, I prefer technology-neutral um, uh, uh, tax credit, for instance. You know, as opposed to just favoring solar and wind. It is. It is. It is not obvious. Solar and wind have been getting favored for a long, long time, and it's not obvious that it's that that that, that it's going to somehow get better in the future, um, just because we des- we decide to. And so, you know, I. I, I do think neutrality of technology is still the, the, the right approach, but if we're going to push our investment to something, all, all, all the science tells me that nuclear is a good investment.
0: Yeah, I agree, and I think that's where conservatives can really start to own the issue, is talking about the, the potential for nuclear energy and in communities that need it most. I mean, we, we talked with TerraPower, Bill Gates' company, earlier on the trip, and they were talking about the number one reason they support nuclear is actually not climate change. It's actually in lowering emissions it's actually empowering people in developing countries to have mm-hmm. you know cheaper energy more affordable energy and then on top of that there's obviously an immense benefit on the environment and that for both of those reasons they're prioritizing the development yeah. of nuclear energy. Nuclear energy is expensive at this point and it's there's a lot of regulatory streamlining that we could probably do to, to accelerate that process. What misconceptions do you think people need to Understand differently about when it comes to nuclear energy.
1: Well, I think everybody imagines like this green ooze coming out every time there's a nuclear power plant, and you know, radioactive birds with two heads and things. And this just is not it's just isn't true. Um, you know, we need to do away with these misconceptions. I think you know, I think uh, nuclear disposal and facility—it it looks like some boring metal rods being stored underground. I mean, that, that's that's what it is. It's a, it's not what people think it is. Um, it can be done safely. I mean, come on, we put a nuclear reactor in a, in a tight and closed space with hundreds of men and women on a submarine thousand feet below the surface. Like, that's pretty dangerous, but we've been doing it for decades. Um, you know, there's, there's way to, there's ways to miniaturize nuclear, make it it's safe um, and efficient, last forever. I mean, you know, it's it's. I'm, I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan of it. I probably become a bigger as I've as I've delved into this subject a lot more uh, over the last year. I've probably become more pro. You know, if we're if we're going to invest again, if we're going to use taxpayer dollars somewhere and invest in something, it should be R and D along things that are proven to work. Like again, it, let's, let's look at case studies. You know, France and Germany. Germany did their own kind of green new deal. They, they pushed they pushed entirely towards wind and solar, 580 billion dollars worth. France uh, invests in nuclear. And who has, and, and who's actually achieved uh, per capita emission reductions? France. Germany's actually increased. And then they end up importing more Russian natural gas. Another dirty little secret is, is they, they add, I think, um, let me make sure I get this right. They add um, basically wood burning to the mix. They call that renewable, but wood burning releases more carbon. Than coal does hmm. so like this is people are virtue signaling and hurting the environment and pretending like they're like they're helping I mean it's, it's so again we all have to take a step back and just think about what's actually working
0: so we have allowed that I think as conservatives a lot of time to happen I mean we, we've kind of let that issue be taken in the wrong direction because we haven't leaned in on it what in today, in, in October of 2020, what can conservatives do better to take the reins on this issue?
1: It's, it's actually really easy. I mean, I, I, I think just, just point out, one, we care. People just want to know we care. Okay, so that's, that's, that's number one, that we care and we have better solutions. Uh, Americans aren't willing to make the trade-offs of the Green New Deal. When, once Americans understand what's, what's at stake there, how many jobs are at stake, what happens to your electricity prices— uh what happens uh to your economy what happens to your ability to power your economy people people take a step back and they say well i'm not really willing to make that trade-off so we have to have an honest discussion about climate change all right and let's just take the ipcc data the democrats always twist that data they always try to fear monger and, and make people well, the worst believe. case
0: scenario they yeah they always,
1: of. always perpetuate the worst case s- scenario so we have to talk about a few things adaptation And reasonable, rational discussions on how to reduce carbon emissions, focusing on what has worked. Um, Again, exporting more natural gas, more technological innovation, more nuclear, more of an all-of-the-above energy strategy, continuing to invest in research, in battery power, in solar. Solar is a bit more promising, it seems, than something like wind. But, you know, and and, and then having a rational discussion about where those energy uh, production sources should be, where they can work, and where they don't work. You know, it's it's and right, different was,
0: energy sources work in different parts of the country, right. and that's why I mean that's what we've seen. You know, in Seattle, Washington, where you know I usually live, it's 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 hydropower, mm-hmm. but hydropower is not going to work in the middle of the sure. Texas desert. So you know, there's there are different solutions for different parts of the there, country. There's some
1: fascinating things happening around geothermal too. Um, uh, geothermal was previously designated only for places where the geology works for that. Uh, but I just met with some some folks who were using some really interesting technology and exploring some ways to basically make it, I can't even explain it so I'm not going to try, but but in, in a way that it could work anywhere. So, so there's just some really fascinating innovations that we should be pushing for that are, that are totally clean. Um, and of my like geothermal, by the way. Um, Still uses the same workers, the same industries, the oil and gas market. So even if we do transition, you actually are hiring the same people as opposed to when the Democrats say, "Well, we'll just retrain people; they'll just have a new job. It'll be like magic." Like that's not how life works. Um, it's a very disingenuous talking point. But with something like geothermal, you really are using the same same kind of service industries.
0: Well, one of the really inspiring things about this trip so far has been we've talked to Republican and Democratic elected officials. Obviously, we are a conservative group, but there have been some really exciting efforts that are being done by people like Dean Phillips and, and Senator Coons. And we don't see it eye to eye on everything. But at the end of the day, like younger generations see this issue as climate change. They don't see it as red or blue. What do you think the potential for bipartisanship, if both sides can kind of get their act together on it, is on climate change?
1: I think all the solutions I've mentioned are bipartisan. Again, when we were pushing this, when McCarthy was pushing this earlier in the year, I believe almost probably most of those bills that we compiled into these larger plans were bipartisan. Uh, So it's really not that hard to get there. Where you run into trouble is, is the left is growing increasingly dogmatic. About it has to be solar and wind, and we can't have a conversation until we agree that it all all the fossil fuels have to stay in the ground. And that's a non-starter, okay that tells me that it's more religious than it is than it is policy making um, and and then you know as opposed to problem solving, right? It's more dogmatic. and so that that's the danger, right and that's been around for a while and it's gotten a lot stronger, but but there's still plenty of people like Dean uh, for instance that. That are willing to, to you know, keep getting on these bipartisan bills. And there's no reason that they can't get, that they can't pass. The frustrating thing is, and this is a, always what happens in Congress, and it'll continue to happen in Congress, is we get a bunch of good bipartisan bills. Um, let's say you know 80% of something in a larger bill, like the, like the clean energy bill that was just passed, um, will be good stuff that we all agree on, and then they tack on a bunch of things that we can't possibly support, and then it goes nowhere. This is, kind of, this is frustrating to Americans. This happens all the time. Um, it's been especially frustrating in the era of coronavirus uh, for totally different reasons outside of climate. But when small businesses need extra funding, um, they can't get it. So right. uh, those kind of games always happen um, in Congress, or at least they have in, in my short time uh, with Pelosi in charge. And uh, you know, it, it's got to stop. We should be able to just say... Alright, fine, we can't agree on all this stuff. Let's just let's just go ahead and vote on the things that we know we do agree on and make some progress.
0: Well and I think that, that the, the inability for Congress to try to find overlap and then not tack other things on to kill it is a huge problem right now. Yeah. And you have Americans who feel left behind because even though like we're getting really close to decisions that could help them and help, you know, catalyze the decisions on fighting climate change, we're being held back by Partisan politics, where it's like, you know, oh, we we've got some clean energy, you know, ramifications of this package. Let's add on something different, and then it totally kills the whole thing. And then you have people who are relying on that investment that are completely left behind. And that's, you know, we've been traveling the country, also seeing that the vast majority of Americans do feel left behind. They they feel like they aren't heard, especially in rural communities, and. They feel like it's dictated by social media, and you know it was really interesting. I was reading before we you know started talking here. You know, the executive producer of this podcast, Saul Spady, wrote an article uh, two years ago talking about how you could be the next kind of like the conservative AOC and like lead us in the in a, but in a better direction on the right of center side. You've really kind of become that voice, and you've really. Embrace kind of the future of the conservative movement through a pragmatic perspective on issues like climate change. We've also run into a lot of people across the country who feel like elected officials are so focused on, like, the media and the the Twitter and, and Instagram, and that's what we're focused on a lot of the time, too, that they're not actually being heard as constituents. How, as you kind of look to your future, how are you going to prioritize... Relying on constituent voices to further issues like climate change, where you know for the left it's like, you know, how many trillions of dollars can we spend and 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 throw money at the problem and then get retweets off of my plan's most expensive? How can we get away from that mindset of like sound bites, while also getting attention and listening to our constituents? Mm.
1: So uh, let me just kind of unpack what what you're saying. You're saying you, you feel like, or, or people in rural areas especially, feel like the conversation just goes. Past them yep. because it's just, it, it's, it's, talk, it's, it's talking points being caught yeah. on social media. I mean, we're not getting away from social media right. um, unless social media becomes so censorious that they, uh, <laughs> that's a whole different problem um, <laughs> yes, that we're is. about to run into. But, uh, the, but we're not getting away from it. It's how we communicate. Right. I, I'm not sure how else. I'm not sure how else my voice even reaches right. person if they're not following me on on social media. It's why we do it, so that, that's not going to stop. I understand that it can get it can give you a headache. Um, you know, but let's just it's, say it's you're up to our leaders to have more substantive conversations on social media. I think that I think that's yeah. what frustrates them. I don't think yep. it's the use of exactly. social media. Yeah, I think it's the it's the virtue signaling and the finger pointing, which is which is why we do what We do we, we you know I do a podcast so that we go into a lot more depth, right? And it's not me just pontificating on a subject I mean I could do that but it's I, I'm just I'm bringing an expert right you know we've, we've had a lot of different experts on, on this particular issue on um, on on uh, I've, I've probably had almost 10 podcasts at this point on, on something related to the environment or energy sources whatever it is fascinating discussions because um, the goal is to inform people. And if we do videos, you know, we're, we're hitting a certain point. We're telling you why we think what we think. But I'm going to directly confront the ideas of my opponents instead of just talking past them. Yeah. I think that's what Americans are sick of, is talking past each other. Like you're playing tennis in two different tennis courts. Mm-hmm. You know, because one side's like, well, I have the best solution. And they're like, well, their solution's bad, but my solution's good. And everybody listening is like, okay, but why? why is your solution better? Like, why right. can't you just answer the simple question? And the reality is, is oftentimes politicians don't even know, <laughs> like, yeah. you know, because they haven't really done that. They're just, they're moving from subject to subject, and it's just, what, what, what's the talk? That's the talking point. Okay, I'll repeat it. Um, they're and, afraid of uh, debate in a lot of
0: times, uh, in a lot yeah, of ways.
1: Yeah, and And i tell you what, the left should be afraid of this debate, because they've got all the science wrong, and they've got all the engineering wrong. And uh, they basically don't even talk about it. Engineering, which is you know just which, is, which is a lot of the things we've been talking about throughout the last hour, right? Energy density issues, space, time, cost, trade-offs, right? These things matter quite a bit when you're talking about solutions, and so um, we've just got to lean into it more.
0: I agree, and I think as we look to 2022 and 2024, you know, we we need to have a stake on this issue as a national party, and you know, as a young conservative. I was very disappointed in the fact that we didn't talk about it at the national convention and that it's struggling to be an issue in the national party when there are people like you and Kevin McCarthy and Garrett Graves and Elise Stefanik and Mike Gallagher all working on this for the next generation of the conservative movement. To me, and I'm not going to say this for you, to me it feels like your work being overshadowed. And we need to have a larger stance on this issue if we hope to have a conservative movement in the future because our ideas do work, yeah. they will work, these issues are complex they're not simple and people need to know about that and they need to know about market-based ways innovation technologically based ways to solve climate change and if they don't and they don't have these conversations and they don't hear these conversations and they don't hear the podcasts that you're on just because you even are next to your name then it's going to be really hard and i think for as a young person that politicization of the issue has been damaging to my generation as i see them you know voting based on this issue, only believing that one side has a voice, it's hard when the National Party necessarily isn't engaged in the way that they should be, and I think that that's where we can do yeah. a lot better. My final question is, we've got 10 you know, days left of this road trip, and we've learned a lot, we've seen a lot. There are a lot of young conservatives who follow ACC, and they're really excited about having a voice as a young person who believes in these sort of mechanisms. If you could tell a young person... Liberal, independent, or conservative—how to make a difference on this issue and actually have their voice heard? What would you tell them? Hmm. Well, get involved with ACC. It sounds like <laughs> uh, you know, volunteer.
1: That, I volunteer love that. Somewhere, right? get yeah. involved with ACC. What do you guys do? You guys take donations. Take some money. Um, <laughs> you know, I, geez, I, I get asked that question all the time. Um, how do I get involved? Whether it's with you know climate issues or any other kind of. Policy, whatever makes you happy. I mean, you know, debate in class. Like, do do your research before going in there, and and have that conversation in class. It can be thrilling, or it can be devastating. Either way, you'll learn a lot. Um, you know, and maybe you'll change some minds. So, you know, start a group, right? I mean, this is this is this is what America is all about. People start groups, uh, they fundraise, they they activate, um, they hopefully get really well informed, and uh, and try to make a change and um, you know, there's, there's just so many ways uh, and it's going to be different for everybody I don't know if that was a satisfying answer or not but...
0: Well no but it speaks to the fact that like, for, an, for an organization like ours we're focused on action over activism a lot of the times. So you need to have activism but you also need to have action we need more people who are meeting with their le- elected officials we've obviously done that with you and, and we need more people writing out beds. we need more people getting out there and voting we need people to actually engage in the political process in a respectful way if we're hopeful for action yeah. And action starts with each individual person and I think our generation sometimes tries to wait for the action instead of yeah. actually being part of it.
1: Or like you said, do a lot of activism, right? It's it's easy to do um, you know, some kind of flash mob in a town square and, you know, like this is we're fighting climate change. Like it doesn't do anything, right? And it it's just it just adds to the confusion. You know, the, the the goal, what I appreciate about you guys is your goal appears to be to create clarity out of the chaos of this debate, as opposed to adding more chaos, and so, you know, what what can people do? I think engage constructively, right? Engage with a rational skepticism and engage with rational thought. We we have a lot of that lacking. We have a lot of passion and emotions in our society these days, especially amongst our youth, with very little sophistication. In fact, we've elevated passion above sophistication. And that's a real problem. I write about that in my book. I'll just give a plug for my book.
0: <laughs> and tell everyone the name of it:
1: Fortitude. Fortitude, Fortitude. and they can American, find it pretty yeah. much everywhere. American right? resilience in the area of <laughs> outrage, and, and like I, I point out, this this is a problem. Like we we have stopped we've stopped engaging in reason and rational, thoughtful discourse, and instead elevated emotional uh, discourse above that, and it's it's very damaging to important issues. And uh, climate change is as you know is very very emotional for a lot of people i mean we're scaring children children feel um higher sense of sense of uh, uh, higher degrees of anxiety than ever before and they'll cite climate change so there's clearly adults yeah, there's, are scaring them into into depression and into anxiety and this this is this is not necessary okay? and that's what we've
0: been telling young people is that you you should be impatient but hopeful you yeah. should be impatient for action. You should demand action. You should be a part of the action, but you should also have hope. Yeah. We could talk about this for hours. You and I see and a lot of this stuff. I'm really appreciative of the way that you've embraced nuclear and this, kind of this common sense approach to the energy frontier that we can have as a country, the new energy frontier. And I hope that next year and, and maybe post COVID, we can bring that back up into our political discourse. Thank you for joining the Electric Election Road Trip and podcast, and thank you for being an ally for conservative climate change policy, because we need more people in the movement to do that. You're helping lead that charge, and it is so, so appreciated. I want to thank Dan Crenshaw for joining the Electric Election Road Trip, and to our viewers, we will be back with you in Austin, Texas, for the next episode of the Electric Election Road Trip.